0: I feel like we're doing all the same things we were 10 years ago. They've just become way more complicated, right? Like we almost have to reinvent the wheel every two to three years just to keep doing what we were, but doing it at a much higher level.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports with all kinds of interesting folks in the business and sometimes in our faculty. A little preview of what we're going to get into today. And I'm joined as usual. I'm Tom Richardson. and I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Favreto. Joe, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together for a real full show. So it's good to be with you. What's going on? Happy early April, Tom. April Oh my God. I'm so glad that, well, it's, by the time this comes out, it'll be uh, mid-April, Boston Marathon territory, but Masters weekend, opening weekend of baseball, NBA season, regular season ending, NFL draft coming. I mean, just a great time. So much fun stuff going on in sports right now. Thank,
2: thank God, from where we've been the last two years. Oh my God,
1: yeah, really. Think about this two years ago, where we oh, were, maybe. where it was just so depressing when everything was getting canceled yeah. and jobs are, yeah. everybody's getting furloughed. It was yeah. miserable, but really uh, positive vibe right now in the business. So feeling really good. Anything, uh, any hot takes on what's going on news-wise? No, we've got. I mean, we've got. Actually, today's podcast I think will touch on some of the, the deep
2: data and everything else that the people are interested in talking about. Uh, so we should probably get to it. But you know, one thing I thought about Tom when L.J. Holmgren raised this topic, I remember a line in Mash, uh, because we were going to do something. We're doing something today about business intelligence, and they talked about military intelligence and. Hawkeye Pierce standing up and saying, now there's an oxymoron, military intelligence. <laughs> but business intelligence is a little bit different, especially when it comes to sports. So why don't we talk to our three
1: Yeah, Yeah, we've got an all-star cast, everybody. We're really pleased to have fellow faculty members uh, who are essentially the uh, nucleus of the business intelligence and analytics area of, um, of the Columbia Sports Management Program. Truly an all-star cast of individuals in this industry. We're so pleased to have them join us today. I'll start with our returning guest, Charlie, Charlie Sung Shin, who's at the Indianapolis Colts, and some of you may remember he was on our show uh, with a single interview maybe six or seven months ago, sometime in 2021, and uh, we're really pleased to have Charlie back. We've also got Russell Scabetti who many of you in this industry know because of his uh, different jobs that he's had. And he uh, has a big network in the business, but he's currently at the New York Giants where he's the VP of Strategy and Business Intelligence. And then last but not least, Kyle Burkhart, whose official title is VP of Club Strategy and Business Intelligence at Major League Soccer. That's pretty a pretty good lineup, Joe, wouldn't you say?
2: And by the way, Kyle is the only, for people who listen to the podcast who did it Sloan, is the only referee on our faculty right now. So anyway,
1: you know what? And I apologize, Kyle. You are a returning guest because you did yeah. the you did the Sloan one. I was uh, yeah. I, I missed that. I apologize, um, guys. So let's just jump right into the biz conversation, if you don't mind. I mean, you all have really impressive backgrounds. But it would take some time to go through the different bios. I want to, if you don't mind, start with the academic side of all this because all three of you have gotten into teaching at different uh, times over the last few years. Why don't you each kind of give your own take on what it's been like getting into the educational side of this part of the business, which doesn't often get discussed in the industry because we're so focused on the business side as it relates to performance and business intelligence. So it'd be interesting to hear your perspectives about getting into teaching. I'm gonna start with our our first time speaker, Russ, uh, to kick this off.
3: Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Um, no, uh, I, I love the fact that I've gotten into teaching. I guess this is year four now that we've been running the business intelligence courses. Um, and, and it's funny, I guess for me, I, I look at it as, I look back to when I would do like one-off guest lectures, right? I look at analytics and BI as, and its role in sports management programs. If you go back, let's say 10 years, it would have been like one topic in a bigger class. Like it would have been like kind of an ancillary element to, I think a lot of what you typically saw in a lot of programs. And so that's kind of how I got into it personally was, oh, we need someone to come in and talk about CRM. We need someone to come in and talk about what analytics means. Right. Um, And so for me, it started off like that. From there, I had the chance even to do a couple of like what I call mini courses where I would do like a one week, workshop at a couple of different colleges i did that a little bit and then of course about five years ago I had the chance to start building the courses here and it's funny because that personal evolution is i think really runs in parallel with the evolution of the topic in these programs right where it's just becoming more and more critical that it's not just a footnote it is its own paragraph right it is its own chapter in the whole curriculum right it's um more and more students every year when i uh, had the first class I ask people on our BI course, how many are interested in pursuing a career in BI? The first class, maybe only a couple raised their hands, but they all knew they needed to learn something about it, right? Everyone, everyone now knows this is important enough where they need some baseline. But the other fun thing is every year I ask that question, more hands are going up where it's not just they want the familiarity, it's active pursuit. You know, they see the hiring, they see the path that kind of comes with having this background um so it's for me and then the adding is even the fact that we had to add more you know more courses to cover that demand so I for me I, the thing that stands out most is that 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 growth in interest and participation and, and the role it plays as a bigger part of the curriculum
1: Russ out of curiosity did you have to write the your original syllabus I assume you had to start from scratch
3: Yep, uh, we built the, so it was really fun. I got to build the, the BI course as well as part of what Charlie's doing on the applied BI course because the courses didn't exist. Uh, so I was able to take bits and pieces of what I've done in guest lectures, um, you know, certain topics I was definitely more comfortable talking about. But then when you, it's a big difference when you're going from teaching a topic for a week to teaching it over a course of one, actually two semesters, right? Because of the right. whole two different courses. But the, there wasn't a shortage of material once we got into it, right? There's, whether it's getting into technical skills, SQL, Excel, Tableau, R, um, platforms like warehouses and CRM and marketing automation or, or functional areas, how we support ticketing, how we support partnerships,
1: um, we could probably build out two more courses
3: uh, and still have plenty of room to go. So um,
1: it was a fun process. Nice. Um, Kyle, how did you get into it?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, as Russell talked about, right, and then we now need more and more courses. And so, you know, they needed somebody else to teach a second section of the intro course, which I think is amazing, right? Just showing the demand that there is, right, for business intelligence and how popular it has become and how, you know, students are understanding that even if they don't want to work in BI, they need to know how to work with BI groups and the value that they can provide to them uh, in other roles within the organization. But I think the most interesting part for me is like, you know, when I was in college, there weren't business strategy or or analytics programs, right? Even non-sports ones. And now you look around and every big university or college offers an analytics major, right? So it's kind of this natural progression of, well, you know, if that's going to be a thing that's happening in business, we need to have classes about this in our sports class, in our sports management programs as well. Because at the end of the day, we are running a business just in a very specific industry. And so I think seeing the evolution of how you know, so many of these kids come out of undergrad with way more skills than I ever had and had, you know, had to learn and had to teach myself while I was working. Um, You know, it's really just pushed the industry forward very quickly because, you know, they can come in and hit the ground running. And so I think the more we can do to focus that specifically in the sports industry is really great.
1: And Charlie, I know that when you got your master's degree at NYU, there probably weren't very many analytics (laughs) courses being taught back in the aughts, right? So I would you, say you kind of grew up, you, you, yeah, yeah you kind yeah. of grew up with this real time both educationally and professionally so talk about how you got into it
4: absolutely like you said I uh, got my master's in uh, NYU sports business uh, program and you know when you look at my background I didn't start my career in sports I actually came from the consulting side over to the, uh, the sports and I kind of used the uh, my master' degree as a stepping stone to get into the industry. So, when I look back at the courses that were provided from NYU, it wasn't just about conceptual uh, um, academic programs, but there were a lot of uh, industry experts coming in and and as an adjunct faculties and teaching uh, many of these classes. And I think that's where I got the the greatest benefits and experiences of learning how a lot of these things are come how a lot of these things comes to life within the actual industry. So if we look at some of those uh, uh, faculties I had was, um, I had, you know, um, Dave Wright, who's now the chief commercial officer for the US Soccer uh, Federation. He taught the consumer behaviors uh, Mm. back at NYU. We had, um, I forgot his name, but he was the chief of the uh, business officer for the New York Jets when he was first kind of starting the whole investment around the new stadium. Um, development. So he taught and, and really talked about all the elements that goes into the uh, the planning of new stadium builds uh, and all of that. So you know that really gave me insights into a lot of these topics that I've never would have gotten into. So that in itself really uh, gave uh, a view into you know the value of having the uh, the industry faculties come and speak. And that's about the same time when I graduated and started working at MLS. I actually got an off uh, opportunity from the NYU to ask me to come and kind of teach their CRM course uh, at the at NYU. So that's how I got started. And I actually had Russell in my class as a guest speaker uh, to talk about the 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 CRMs in sports. And and then he's the one who actually introduced introduced me to the uh, uh, the class at the uh, Columbia when he talked about hey, you know, he was kind of. Uh, uh, there are a lot of classes getting expanded and he felt like, hey, can you come and teach the uh, applied uh, um, business intelligence uh, within the Columbia? And that's how I got uh, into kind of teaching at Columbia. Um, But again, I I kind of try to bring the same thing that I've kind of taken from my experience, which is, you know, how do I bring all of the industry uh, experience and knowledge to the class so that they're not just learning from the books, but they're actually getting hands-on experience and hands-on cases, as well as some of the actual data that we're utilizing within the industry um, through this class, so that they're, you know, once they graduate, it's not something, you know, completely uh, uh, new that they're gonna be uh, faced with.
2: Um, So question actually probably more for Kyle, given not just your MLS and your NYCFC background, but also your NBA and WNBA background and Russ, you know, one of the few people who've ever survived jumping back and forth between the Jets and the Giants, but also all the time you spend at core software. Um, what's the difference between the leagues and the teams? Is there a different set of parameters that say NBA team or an NHL team would use to, to kind of best, best take best case scenarios for, from, for business intelligence that applies to their business, or is it pretty homogenous across, sport now? Are there very specific things when you're looking at, at different leagues uh, and how they embrace uh, the business that you're running? So
3: Russ, you want to kind of take the first shot at that? Yeah, I'll, I'll take the first shot from like the back between the teams and core because core gave me a really interesting perspective because we worked with teams across all sports and we worked with leagues, but I'll, I'll let Kyle more speak probably to the, the league piece. Um, you know, the interesting thing is even across sports team to team, there's there are these parts that are fundamentally the same, like the platforms that you operate off of, you, you need certain, you know, well-run processes in your CRM. You need certain baseline reporting out of your warehouse. You need certain platforms to, for targeted personalization and automating things. But what you prioritize, how much weight you put into different areas and the tactics that you take, that's where sitting in that seat at core, it was so interesting to see our products use different ways like this is literally the same product but the priority of the hornets versus the thunder versus the magic versus the knicks could be completely different even in the same league let alone now you go from a an, uh, a, uh, an arena sport to an NFL team where you have an entirely different ratio of season ticket members to single game customers. You have different database sizes. You have different risk factors and different approaches to model building just because there's some different behaviors of those fans, different types of ticket packages that lend themselves to different behaviors. So from, from where I sat, it, the interesting was the, the platforms and the structures and what, you, what challenge you, you had fundamentally were very similar but the priorities and tactics ended up being quite varied day to day.
2: Cool. Kyle?
3: Yeah,
0: and, and just to build on that, I think, you know, having gone from the NBA to the NHL, back to the NBA, so much of that was very standard, right? Arenas are very similar. You're playing 41 home games. Ticketing and sponsorship are kind of the same, you know, parallel path in terms of how much revenue they provide your team. But in making the switch to NYCFC and the MLS, now you're only playing 17 home games. In our case, we don't own our stadium. Right. And in in most cases, we're playing in two or three stadiums each year. Right. And you're in a league that's only been around for, at that time, 26 years. Right. So you are very and the the team had only been around for eight. So you're still very much a challenger brand in a well-established and saturated New York market. So the tactics that go into it around, you know, how to continue to grow the brand. Right. And find new fans versus, you know, maximizing revenue generation of the fans you already have. uh, You know, I think is is very different than some of our MLS teams because they are so new. Right, like they're still implementing a lot of what you know they need to do to be successful in the long run. Um, you know, and, and that focus on fan growth versus that focus on revenue generation, and and that was the biggest uh, you know kind of difference for me between the leads.
4: Well, one one thing I'll add to that, and and before even I get into it, first of all, I'm excited that Kyle's actually at MLS now. We have someone who understands the analytics space, but also understands the the club side of it, and really taking on that lead. So. I'm really thrilled uh, uh, for Kyle and for MLS. Um, just having gone from working at MLS and to the, to the club side, you know, way that I've kind of viewed it over the years is that it's really comparing b 2 b to c versus B2C model, right? So when you're at the league, a lot of the work that you're doing is you're really servicing the clubs uh, in terms of helping them with their infrastructure, their best practices, to be able to have a better execution in their own markets right Uh, versus when you look at at the club side it's directly being try to focus on how do i build that uh, relationship with our fans or our season ticket members Uh, and also when you look at the priorities and you know what russell talked about at the league although it is important for the league to have Uh, uh, see, you know, greater ticket sales at an individual club level, but that's not how they're getting evaluated from their revenues or even their performance. So a lot of the focus for them is going to be on the business areas where the league is overseen. So for example, it could be, you know, over the top subscriptions or uh, fantasy games, or it could be other businesses that the league owns and league drives versus what the club does. So, um, when you think those kind of perspective, the league is going to be focusing on how do I leverage the data to drive my initiatives versus the club is going to be really focused on how do I use the data to help drive business for the you know, tickets and my season ticket members and so on. And one thing to add there, I think the league has also all the leagues. I know MLS,
3: like Charlie, I think you, you started this in particular. And I know the NFL has made this a huge priority. As much as the league is absolutely going after those league priority platforms, this whole other second level of league to club dynamic in the last, particularly in the last few years, has just taken on a whole life of its own. The the ways that the league, the power of the league platforms, again, like the warehouse that the that Major League Soccer would have, or that the data platform that the NFL has put together and the relationship between that and the clubs can essentially supercharge Team initiatives. So I only came into the Giants a couple of years ago now, and you know there was no lack of data. Right, a lot of times when you're building out an BI, you feel like you're you go like, oh, all right, I need to go collect the information. This was really fun for me because it wasn't, that, I didn't need to collect it. It was here. The league had it or the ticketing system had it and and the ability to tap into what the league investment was and, and the fact that they make that so readily available and easy to work with and the integrations between team and, team and league platforms, um, it, it really is, a, is an important vehicle to, again, supercharge the best word I can come up with, what those team efforts are doing. And those ultimately trickle back to to the league goals as well. So um, I think the leagues do a really good job wearing both those hats.
1: So guys, related to that point is a question that's been on my mind for a while, especially with the introduction of some new technologies like NFTs. So if we think about first party data that you're gonna collect from your the owned properties, the websites, the apps, things like that, we understand what that means. Second party, let's say coming from Google Analytics, Facebook's analytics, Apple analytics, et cetera, But when you're in a licensing situation, like let's take the case of the NBA and NFL with Dapper Labs, where you've got NBA top shot for basketball and of course uh, NFL all day for football. When those deals are, tell me what you can, I don't want to go into territory that is uh, confidential, but I'm really curious about this because I happen to be an aficionado of this, of this space as, as a fan. When I do my stuff with Dapper Labs is that making its way back so to speak to uh, the NFL or NBA in terms of actionable or business intelligence that might be integrated into all the other things you're doing from the other the, the other areas so
3: so today it will to a degree so the interesting thing with NFTs at the at the NFL and dapper um, and I can go into what I you mean know, I think I can go into I'll, let you, I'll I'll stop if I go too far, if I, before I say okay. something, I'm not supposed to. No,
1: Charlie will give you the. Uh, Charlie's going to be like, no, what
4: are you yeah.
3: saying? Yeah. No, it, it's a it's consumer. Gonna, it's going to be like
2: Will Smith at the Oscars. All of a we're just going <laughs> oh.
3: Yeah. oh boy. Um, no pressure. No, the NFTs that the, the NFL is doing is a consumer product. It's a consumer licensed product, right? So they're using team marks across all the clubs and content and what's happening on field. And so it's very similar. And they've taken the approach of, of treating it like any of the other consumer licensed products where it's managed at the league level. They can leverage the power of the league to really create demand, high impact brand, high impact assets. And, and I think they're setting up a really strong relationship with Dapper the same way NBA did with Top Shot. Um, and we've seen the demand from what were the information we're getting. Teams can then operate within that dynamic. So the giant, we were able to do a limited release through Dapper around content that was our 10th anniversary, because this was the 10th anniversary season of the last Super Bowl win. So the program itself, I think, is structured really well. On the data side, in today, right this moment, I don't have additional insights, but I will, right? Because ultimately, a lot of those league programs funnel into that same league platform that I was talking about right and then because of the opt-ins between the leagues and the clubs we will get some level of that insight to help understand all right among the league's audience here are the Giants fans. Here's the level of interest or the types of fans that are interested in NFTs from what the league has learned. The same way the league can tell me, here are the types of Giants fans that are interested in playing Madden or interested in, that are interested in red zone versus other types of products. So that's that, that's where the power of the league can be a strong funnel to the clubs for helping us understand lots of different things about our fans, even though we're the clubs not directly issuing the NFT.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question because as we get into more of the newer technologies with, with the Web3 things and, and perhaps the metaverse, a lot of this stuff is going to be happening away from the licensors and it will be through the licensees. And back in the old days, when I worked in two of the leagues, NFL and NHL, we didn't have to worry about this kind of stuff because the licensing deals that were done were you know, video games and clothing and the usual stuff. But in a in a world where... Analytics is based on the collection of data, and there's really valuable data coming from these new technology platforms. And I would argue that NFTs is going to be a really rich one. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those deals get negotiated, because I would assume the, you, you, you guys would like as much access as you could possibly get.
3: Absolutely, need as much as possible. And then the one thing I forgot real quick, and uh, Charlie, if you want to jump in too, the, so that's the, that's the consumer product side. There's also the ticketing side. Right. So the league actually kind of took the dual angled approach here where through Ticketmaster and the league ticketing relationship, they were ticketing commemorative NFTs. And those are integrated through the same mechanism as the ticketing system. So we actually have two different ways to engage and learn about fans, again, orchestrated through the league, but ultimately insights that would trickle down to the club.
4: Tom, just going back to your point, as we continue to evolve and new technology gets introduced, um, as a league, developed a broader program for many of the clubs, the data will become the core element of negotiations for many of these companies because they recognize the value and it's gonna come down to, you know, what is that trade-off? Are you gonna be you know, able to get the data? Um, you know, Leagues like NFL has so much uh, uh, power over negotiations, a lot of the deals that we do, and, and, you know, obviously they recognize the value of the data that's going to uh, place a lot of the uh, um, partnerships that we have across, whether it's the NFTs or even you know, uh, credit card, affiliated credit cards, or even over the top services, we get a lot of those data uh, delivered back to the individual club, so that we could have that full view of understanding how the fans are engaging, not only through our channels, but through the NFL channels as well, because at the end of the day, you know, the fans are fans. They don't determine whether, hey, I'm engaging with the clubs or I'm engaging with the NFL. They're engaging with the brand overall. So um, it's important for us to have that holistic view to understand how they're engaging. So um, these data is gonna become really valuable assets for us. And then the other part is, I think the data monetization is going to be the next biggest uh, opportunity at the league level as as much as media values have and and some of the deals that are out there so you know how are the league preparing for that um to be able to monetize some of these data uh, assets down the line
2: cool uh kyle question for you Uh, and actually you guys charlie and russ if you want to chime in too Uh, before we started recording today tom was kind of a little bit lamenting about uh following the masters today and and all, where all his data was going as he's been streaming for hour after hour. And it was 18 pages. I think Tom, you said yes, 5,000
1: words, 18 pages. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So so is there a worry uh, and especially Kyle now NHL, WNBA, NBA, an MLS team and MLS that uh, it's too evasive. You guys have too much. And then how do you know what to sell, what not to sell before it becomes too intrusive? to the fan?
0: Good question. Yeah, I, I would say I don't think I've ever said in my life, I have too much data. I don't want this, right? Like that's <laughs> yeah. a thought process. Yeah. That's ever so
1: I'll
0: take as much of it as I can get. And if we decide that, you know, a bunch of it is junk later down the line and, you know, we don't want to store it or we want to get rid of it, that's fine. But like, let's ingest it all. Let's get as much as we can. Let's learn everything we can about our fans and really try to utilize that in the way that we interact with them and can be smarter about our interactions or finding new fans or using it for, you know, to increase revenues ac- across the enterprise. So, no, I think, you know, even as, you know, streaming in OTT becomes more and more prevalent, you know, in media deals moving forward and things, that's all stuff that we want to collect because it's just another, you know, data point or viewpoint of how our fans are, you know, interacting with our content and, and really working with with both the teams and the league. So um you know no i mean i've been streaming the masters all day like tiger can't make a putt it's killing me while we sit on this uh on this podcast (laughs) and like i want i want someone to know that i'm watching that because they should use that right in the ways that they then the pga tour or the masters or whoever else right like views me as a fan yeah that's that's
4: interesting I, i mean i welcome these type of new regulations that's coming down whether it's the you know, CCPA or GDPR or, you know, whatever that may be that we might be uh, uh, expecting down the line, because it, it's all about the, the, the value trade. And these type of regulations is actually going to hinder a lot of those companies that have not been utilizing the data to deliver values to the consumers. But if you've done your jobs correctly and deliver using the data to uh build a better experience for your fans, then this is actually beneficial for those organizations because one, you're going to be getting the data from people that do want to engage with you. Um, So it actually gets rid of a lot of those uh, uh, people that you might not need to engage because they're not going to be interested in uh, having those relationships. Um, So it's actually better for a lot of uh, the marketers because you're going to get more quality data and you're going to actually... Start engaging with those people that are interested in engaging with you. So you know it actually helps from many different uh, perspectives.
3: Yeah, I, I got a perfect example. Charlie, spot on. In, in GDPR, you have to have an explicit opt-in, right? You can't pre-check the box for people to participate. And but if you go back several years, everyone was like, "Oh, we should always pre-check the box so that way we're getting their information." But if you actually just forget about just forget about prioritizing quantity if you think about your quality, you would never want to pre-check that box. And that's, and to, to the point Kyle was joking about having too much data, this is the one case where maybe you would end up with too much data because you end up with the wrong data. So like we always, regardless, technically in the US, you do not need, you could still do a pre-check box technically, but it's not a good idea right? Because you want, it's best practice. And when those laws continue to operate and expand, and there's going to be something very similar here, whether it's CCPA expanding or whatever the national laws end up being, or if it ends up being state by state, that's still up in the air, but it's just better for us to make sure if they check that box, you know, the interest is real versus pre-checking, pre-checking it. You're, you're hoping it's real, but you never really know. I
1: have a quick follow-up from, from the, the, uh, the prior exchange about how some of these deals are done. So, so you mentioned, one of you guys mentioned that these new te- many of these new tech deals are being done as consumer product licensing deals with third parties. When it involves a technology company, let's take another example that we haven't mentioned yet in the world of gaming. Let's, let's take Epic games and Fortnite where the NFL it's been reported has done a licensing deal for skins of, of different teams to be, Bought and, and used in the Fortnite environment. It's it's making me wonder if when these deals now get developed and negotiated by the consumer products executives, do they bring guys like you into the room if it Good involves question. involves digital stuff and data that might be valuable to the league? So
3: oh. I, I can't speak definitively, right? Because I think in this case, it wouldn't necessarily be the club folks in the room, although it's possible. Right. There yeah. could definitely yeah. be some of that. I, I, I meant like
1: league people. But at the league, color. I
3: mean, I, yeah, I would imagine yeah. so. I mean, just knowing the folks that they have in place in the league office that are overseeing data strategy, like they, this is really important. There's, you know, C-level titles and they, they, this, is a, this is a huge point of emphasis. So, I mean, I forget if it was Charlie or Kyle, like the value of the data is so important that it needs to be thought of in the context of any deal. Now, you also need to be, be careful, right? Again, this is the one you, and I don't know the details of that particular example, but the things you start thinking about is, well, also you have to remember who is the age of the participant and there's right. different rules on data collection, depending on the age of the participant, whether they can opt in themselves um and and, or if they're above a certain age then they can opt in directly and marketing rules for different audiences so um and making again making sure that there is something explicit to know when data is being shared and there could be relationships where it's so important just to engage that audience that you know you don't maybe complicating with data sharing may backfire so i think every situation is different in terms of how much you prioritize the data capture versus how much you're prioritizing just with what this represents as a strategic value for engaging an important audience.
4: Cool. I'll give you an example. Um, When we were doing a renewal deal with uh, EA Sports on our FIFA for uh, with MLS, um, I was pulled in to help um, basically craft the data section within the licensing agreements. That was going to be my question. Uh, in, in helping to craft, um, you know, what needs to go in there, what information that we should have now. With that said, it's not as simple as just, you know, adding those components and the, the agreements into the contract, but it's more about also highlighting why this is valuable, not only for us, but also for EA for to be sharing those information. And we've kind of done a pilot before, um, at toward the end of that contract, be able to showcase the value that we could bring to EA by having access to these informations that can be used to promote and encourage our MLF fans to play EA FIFA games using our clubs and our uh, players. And that gave them a rationale on terms of, okay, you know, these type of data sharing will not only help um, drive MLS, but it's actually going to help drive our own business because they're going to use that data to promote and encourage and actually, uh, um, you know, increase the, the usage of their gaming. So it's, it's showing those values where, look, it's not just about giving data, but by having that, we're going to collectively grow together and, and, uh, develop, you know, the business and, and growth
0: to bring it back full circle to what we were talking about earlier too, right? Like that's data that gets collected at the league level. And then at the team level that gets pushed to us. Right. And if you're playing FIFA with NYCFC as your favorite team, like that's just another data point that we're collecting on somebody that we might, you know, that might not have bought tickets yet, might be just kind of randomly sitting in our database but is another way for us to put a stake in the ground and be like, no, they really are interacting with our club. And so the way that all gets filtered back to clubs can then be really useful.
2: So, so also along those lines into this baseball season, when, when did the sales guys, especially and Charlie, going back obviously to where you are now, but Kyle, from when you were at a team level and Russ where you are now, when, when do they call to the bullpen and say, Hey, we need, we need the, the business intelligence guys to come in. We need to close a deal. Is it the beginning of the deal going into a meeting or is it kind of along the path or does it change from time to time, Kyle?
0: I think for me, it, it totally depends on who your sales leader is in that, in that space too, right? And what's their process and how do they like to structure their, their deals and things. I think, you know, my preferred method would be to get brought in at the beginning. So you have the full context and understanding of, you know, what's being pitched, what kind of data are, you know, are we promising or they do they want from us? What we can we collect with them and really find something that works for both parties in the long run that's actually beneficial and there isn't just a clause about we're going to share data because we know there should be, you know, a data clause in our, our deals now. But, you know, what what can we actually get from them to Russell's point, right, that's going to be actually useful instead of just storing something, you know, in our warehouse that, that never gets touched. So I think the earlier you bring, you know, the BI people in, the, the easier that can be.
3: I think the brands right. are asking for that. They, you know, they want. You know, they're, they're asking questions where it's creating a reason to be in the room earlier, right? Some of this is going to depend is it a new prospect? Is it someone you've been working with for a while, right? So, um, but I can tell you, I've been in, in a couple of recently where, right out of the gate, knowing what the priority is of that particular brand, um, it's less than anything about direct data, it's more about what's the measurement strategy going to be, right? We're doing this partnership, we're interested in this partnership, not just because of increase in sales. We are focused on measuring brand perception and we're focused on particular initiatives right like very clear a brand action oriented outcomes that if you're not involved early you not you know you might have struggle struggle to measure them but the more we can be involved in those conversations we can think about well what is the right methodology going to be and make sure the partner agrees with that early on as well so you're all operating at the same page, whether it means, all right, we're going to incorporate surveys at key times throughout the relationship, or there is this other behavioral measurement that maybe the partner has, and they can combine that with something that we're measuring on the team side. You want to have that agreement on like, we all agree, this is, the, this is our North Star, right? And this is how we can collaborate using various tools to, to measure that we're, we're, we're progressing towards that North Star.
1: All right, um, I, got, I got asked this question about social, if you don't mind. I know we only have about five minutes left. Um, guys, which in your in your opinion, I know this is somewhat subjective, and I know you try to make it objective, but it is a little bit subjective. Which social platform provides the most useful data in your opinions, and and which one might you have concerns about if you're able to say? Useful
3: is a very open-ended term, right? I think <laughs> yes, I one, use that
1: word on purpose.
3: <laughs> I know each one is different. So, for example, if you're saying the focus is purely, say, on brand lift and brand engagement, right? What's going to generate exposure and interest and engagement for our, for integrating partners into content? Right now, Instagram is particularly strong, right? And I think we're seeing some really great metrics there, maybe more than others. But if you're talking about, I mean, if you're looking at where are we growing in a, a particular demographic or growing a new audience, TikTok is growing much faster, mm-hmm. right? And so that's going to resonate and be more useful with a different goal than maybe the goal would be with Instagram. And, and sometimes if you look at you know sales, if you're trying to do things around lead capture and direct conversion sales, Facebook still works great. Facebook, so it, so it also it depends on who you're targeting, what you're trying to get as your outcome. And each of them has kind of their own little sets of strengths and weaknesses. And almost all of them generate really good data TikTok mm-hmm. and Snapchat are are the weakest in terms of like APIs and being able to kind of get some of the measurement metrics that we like to use but it doesn't mean they're not useful they're just right. maybe going to be a little harder to measure certain things.
1: Charlie and Kyle any thoughts on that?
0: I think just Russell's point about, you know, who are you trying to target and, and what are your goals, right? Because, it you know, depending, especially across the age demographic of who you're trying to get at in, in that social connection. And if you're trying to, you know, are you focused on engagement, right? hitting a smaller pool of people, but really finding engaged users versus kind of just a general branding campaign and, and trying to reach as many users as possible. That, that's where you have to just kind of pick and choose your platform based on, on what your goals are.
4: I'll look at it strictly from the easiness of pulling data in and then easiness of pulling data into the system to utilize their platforms. I think Twitter is the kind of the easiest where you, you could get the most out of the data from, from that platform. Um, but Facebook, I think is the most sophisticated in terms of how we actually could push data into their system to target and, and reach audiences.
2: Cool. Hey, um, so my last one, and this is for all three of you guys, uh, two parts what's the kind of wow moment and and i know you don't want to go too far behind the the veil of secrecy for for specifics but like maybe it's in the industry like what's the one wow moment that you've seen in the last year where where data or or business intelligence has been used to really drive something that you never thought it would and then uh i know we touched a little bit on nfts but what are one or two other areas that you guys are seeing as key growth areas you may not have even thought about a year ago or two years ago where, where uh, business intelligence is going to be used going forward to really drive fan engagement. Ross, you want to start us off?
3: Like putting me on the spot.
2: Um, I figured you're going to be the most evasive. So we'll go to you first. <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: been pretty I've been pretty wow. evasive today. No, I've given him mm. a bad rap show. Nah. i um, uh,
3: i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna kind of step around the first question. I'm having trouble coming up with like an immediate answer, but the, the, the biggest thing I'd say is is less of a, yeah, you know what here? I'm gonna give you a slightly different answer, but I think it's kind of gets to the heart of the question.
2: Such a negotiator.. So
3: I'm yeah. hanging out with the sales team. Yeah. the The wow moment to me is always around how the same data can tell very different stories. So if you're looking at analytics and bi, from uh, like taking a step back, almost out of sports for a second, look at everything from COVID over the last two years. And there are so many narratives and ways you can take what should be fundamentally objective numbers. And first of all, then you have to understand, are they fundamentally objective numbers? And then how are those numbers used to tell completely different narratives? We talk about this, I'll go first Circle back to our whole academic conversation. We talk about this on our data visualization class before we even start building visuals about how easy it is to either on purpose or inadvertently manipulate the numbers to fit one particular story. Um, The flip side of that is also true though, is that when you let the numbers talk for themselves, you'll discover a different story. So one example there that is team specific, there are certain perceptions that, you know, Giants fans are older and yes, like we don't turn over our season ticket members. They renew year after year. So fundamentally that means certain audiences might appear older. But if you dig into the data and you look at the fan base and you take it from a different lens actually some interesting numbers are showing that our fans are actually younger than most nfl teams in a Ooh. lot of areas so it's it's a it's a it's not necessarily a, a huge wow moment other than it's the whole idea is data can be manipulated or you can let it speak and sometimes you discover something that you didn't expect to discover
2: cool okay
4: charlie i, I will kind of uh, tail off of, of what Russell mentioned. I think the importance of the context around the data is, is crucial in terms of how you go about analyzing it. because I've been in many situations where if we just strictly looked at the data, it was telling certain stories or you know, a lot of uh, other department heads or people were interpreting it in one way. And then as you start digging into the details and trying to figure out why that was the case, we find other reasons behind uh, those uh, results or something that had nothing to do with what we thought was the case, but it was completely different uh, areas that we needed to address. So um, around it, I think is, is, is very important.
0: Kyle. Yeah, I I think the, the wow moment for me, if you will, is just like, I feel like we're doing all the same things we were 10 years ago. They've just become way more complicated, right? Like we almost have to reinvent the wheel every two to three years just to keep doing what we were, but doing it at a much higher level, right? And so it's just, you know, there's always a new technology or a new method or a new platform that you're going to have to integrate with, right? And, And we're just constantly leveling up where I feel like, you know, for me being in the industry then, that just means that I have to constantly be learning. I can't just get to a place, be like, okay, I know what I'm doing so I'm just gonna sit here and let it happen. Right. But I need to constantly be up leveling my up leveling my skill set, right? To, to stay, you know, at the at the top of my game and stay involved with where the industry is going. And so I think that, that's the biggest one for me is like we think about it as its own portion of the industry now, but it's constantly evolving and changing in the ways that it can, you know, help help the industry as a whole.
2: So so the other side of that on the crystal ball side. Uh, Kyle, we can start with you, looking forward, you know, taking NFTs out, is, is there something kind of unique or esoteric that you're watching down the road to say, man, this is really going to impact the fan experience that we could see from a data perspective?
0: I, I, I don't know about fan experience, but definitely the data perspective, I think as more and more teams explore, what is, what is streaming or what is, you know, taking their own broadcast rights back look like? And obviously, in different sports and different leagues and different properties, that that's all going to look different. Right. But like, you know, if there's a way for, you know, an NBA team to to take their broadcast rights back and and own that entire process, um, you know, and and do it, you know, so that they can reach, you know, millions of more people if it isn't on on linear cable or television or whatever else. I just think, you know, what we can start to learn about who's consuming our product and how they're doing it from that, um, you know, is just something that I continue to keep an eye on. Cool.
2: Charlie?
4: The area that I'm focusing on the most is uh, trying to see how we could collect more zero-party data. Um, and and that is to better understand about our fans and their motivations beyond just looking at the transactional data. Because I think to Kyle's point, as an industry, I think we're, we hit a, a point where we're all working with the same data, we're all kind of using those data to drive similar initiatives. And the, the, the way that we're gonna be able to kind of go beyond that is not just looking at the transactional data, which only talks about what is happening, but we lack the understanding of why those things are taking place. And that's really gonna be driven by doing more of the qualitative uh, 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 research. So we're looking at doing a lot of more surveys. We've done focus groups or even finding ways to collect those zero party data that, that we could continuously kind of build out so that we get a better understanding of the motivations behind some of these decisions mm-hmm. that the fans are making.
2: Russ, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but we're gonna give you the last word.
3: Oh, uh, dangerous. I feel I feel like this was all a setup for someone to say the word metaverse. Uh. Um, but I, I'm not going to pretend to say, like, that's the thing. I, I, I think you say that. And it's, it's just right now, it doesn't really mean anything quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give, a, I'll give a non-sexy answer. Um, I think I'm, I am always intrigued about in the back of my head. And we can talk about AI and machine learning for, like, model building. But, like, AI-based personalization. Right. I think about fandom that people are fans for so many different reasons and some people want to watch videos and some people want to follow social and some people read and some people like whatever it might be, you want to attend, you don't want to attend. And we are we are content factories and there's only so many bodies and so much you can do in terms of manually creating everything that there are these tools that are really trying to be based on behavior to understand what people want and then streamline that through through AI. Right, so I, I think that's an interesting area that will fundamentally let us deliver personalization of content at scale. And since sports, at the end of the day, is driven by content, I think that could have a really big impact.
2: Cool. I thought I was hoping you were going to say teams are going to go back to printing hard tickets, but I know that's a sore subject, and we're not going to go there anyway. Mobile
3: well, we'll tickets, all the way. It's not. It's not really? coming back. It's you got, you got yeah. to
1: embrace it, Joe.
2: Yeah, I'm not well, embracing Joe, it. Joe,
1: I got to so. point out one thing. I I read this morning. You guys might have seen it too that the XFL V3, which is launching in a year, just uh, announced that they filed for these trademarks in the metaverse for metaverse and NFTs, to which I say, I think they need to worry about the universe before they worry about the metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: How, about, how about raising money and playing a game and then you yeah. could worry about
1: it? Yeah, the- exactly. Maybe you're getting a little over their skis on that one. Yeah. But, but you it can see really that's cool yeah it sounds cool cool. and you can see the temptation because everybody thinks something's coming but no one knows what what that means
2: yeah cool so tom you want to wrap us up
1: yeah well thanks guys uh what a pleasure that was really fun um really appreciate you spending time with us and sharing your thoughts on this it's a it's really a fascinating topic i know when when i first got in the sports business i i don't even think we used the word analytics in in any of my first 10 years in, in in pro sports or or maybe even beyond um and to see how it's come to such prominence, both in the industry itself, and even in academia and sports management programs is really a thing to behold. So um, good for you guys for being pioneers in this area. It's really uh, wonderful and really pleasure to be working beside you at Columbia. So thank you for your time, Joe, It was a great show. Thank you to Sam behind the scenes for producing as always for LJ for pulling this together. Uh, guys, we will see you on campus now that we're back in person. Look forward to uh, hanging out at the year-end celebration in May. And thanks again for the show. We appreciate everybody listening. We'll see you next time.